This is the Young Marriages Workshop. So, and we are defining young marriages as four to 10 years. So you may not feel like your marriage is young. That's okay. <laughs> um, I mean, Hollywood standards, this is like, might as well be 40 years, right? Being married 10 years. So I guess it just depends on the context. But my name's Matt, and uh, just blessed to be able to share with you guys. I've been uh, hanging out downstairs this morning and hanging out with some of your kids. And the cutest thing I saw as I was on my way here, they're, they're having snack right now in, in different pockets and different areas. And I want to say it was the four-year-olds. Um, the teacher uh, told all the kids to pray, and the teacher prayed, Lord, thank you for this snack. Bless it. Amen. And then this blonde-haired, curly girl goes, it's actually in Jesus' name, amen. So if that's one of your, your daughters, you're doing something right. Theologically, she's dialed in. So, well, hey, I, uh, I want to pray, and then um, I want to get going on this. It, this is a challenging kind of thing to do, you know, because um, I asked Pastor Jeff, so what do you want me to share? And he said, just talk about being married for four to ten years. It's like, okay, great, because all of our marriages, are, you know, they track along the same trajectory, right, four to ten years, so it's a little bit of a challenge, but I hope that what I'm able to share today, you take maybe half of it, 75% of it, you know, I, not all of it's going to be for all of you probably, but my prayer is that the Lord will use some of it to just minister to you guys, and I want to try to be practical, I want to try to be helpful you're going to hear a lot of great things um, the rest of the day, and uh, I've got some things on my heart to share. So I'll share a little bit about me and my wife's marriage so you can get some context, because um, we have the perfect marriage. I think that's why Jeff asked me to teach this session. Um, we've learned it all. We've got it figured out. No, totally joking, but um, want to want to be able to share some things that we've learned for sure. And I've had my wife look at all that I'm going to share and give me the thumbs up. So that's an important thing. <laughs> To know that we are on the same page. She wasn't able to be here today, but we are on the same page in what we're going to be talking about. So let me pray, and then we'll actually start with a video, and then I get into the content. All right. And if we need some more chairs, um, you know, there are chairs up here that we can bring in the back or kind of do something like that if you guys need to. So thanks for, for squeezing in. Well, Lord, thank you for these couples that are here today. Lord, thank you for what you're doing already, just the fact that they have made the time to show up here, Lord, says so much. And God, by your Holy Spirit, would you continue to be working in these marriages, Lord? Thank you, God, that there is hope in you, Lord, for you to restore, for you to bring growth, for you to bring health into this vital and most important relationship that we have in the human realm, our marriage. So Lord, would you bless this time? Would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna start with this video here, and uh, it might be familiar to some of you, but uh, just wanted to kind of set the stage here for us. So I love that video, and uh, you know, I think that paints a pretty good picture of maybe some of the dynamics that we've experienced in our marriages. And um, 
you know, men, if you haven't learned the lesson of don't try to fix everything, because a lot of the time we just want to fix it, right? And so we think there's a problem, there's a solution. And that's as easy as it is. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of these years of, you know, whether it's four to anywhere between four and 10 years, it's learning these lessons that are going to set us up for the future. And it's really cultivating, I believe, that uh, marriage covenant that God has formed um, with us when we made that commitment on our wedding day. And I think these, these young years are really about cultivating that marriage covenant. And I want to talk about that today because you're going to encounter situations like that. You, you guys are encountering um, anything from you know trivial everyday matters of, hey, that's not the way you load the dishwasher because there is an exact way you load the dishwasher, right? We all know that. And we usually see that, you know, differently. Uh, there's those kinds of things too. Deep, deep pain and uh, issues of shame and regret and sin that comes in that, that requires us to work through these things together as a married couple. And so I want to share from our experience and some of the things that me and my wife have learned after the almost 14 years of marriage that um, have, have just been things we need to put into practice, because that's what it's about, right? This isn't about perfection. None of our marriages are going to be perfect. It's about progress. What are we actually progressing in? And so I want to talk about that. But I, I want to kind of just start by sharing um, really uh, our story a little bit. Um, can you think back to the hardest year of your marriage? You probably know. You probably have it in your mind. <laughs> For many couples, it's the first year. There's adjustments. You're trying to figure each other out, living with each other. Oh, man, this person isn't as clean as I am. Or, man, this person is way more clean than I am. You're kind of adjusting to life together. Well, for me and my wife, um, it wasn't the first year. It wasn't the second year. It wasn't even the third year. It was the fifth year of marriage for us that was the hardest. And we had conflicts, you know, along the way, like every marriage, um, we would work through them. And, you know, a conflictless marriage is not really a healthy marriage because two people that are different, that God brings together as one, are going to experience conflict. And I want to just let you know that's normal and that's okay. And a certain level of conflict is actually healthy. But for us, there was conflict just like any marriage. My temperament tends to be easygoing. Um, and my wife is the most reasonable and like logical person that I've ever met. And so there were just things that didn't, we didn't have issues in a lot of areas and there weren't a lot of conflicts early on. And um, when there was, we'd try to be patient, offer each other grace and forgiveness. And then we got pregnant. She got pregnant, right? So <laughs> the months leading up to having a baby changed everything for us. All of a sudden, there were more conflicts than we've ever faced before, and there was something different about it. We weren't as willing to give, give in or give up our conviction or our stance. We weren't as willing to compromise over these things, and I think what changed from us just maybe shouldering some of the conflicts and different things was the realization that we'd be shaping a life together, and that was a profound uh, responsibility that we just felt. All of a sudden, maybe the things that I was doing that my wife didn't appreciate, maybe the bad habits that I had brought into the marriage, she was now looking at it differently. She was seeing those things are going to have an effect on our child. And in the same way, the, 
the things that my wife would do or the way that we would have conversations, all of a sudden I started thinking, wow, these things are going to impact our kids' lives. And so what we had to do is learn to work through conflict together. And it was tough, I'll say. And I think the real issue, looking back on it, was that I wasn't being fully, fully honest in our marriage. And I wouldn't even have known that necessarily. I didn't realize that. And I wasn't intentionally trying to withhold. But I honestly kind of had this idea that, you know, I grew up in the church and, you know, I've been in ministry for so long. I kind of had the idea that the husband was the spiritual leader of the marriage. And that meant, which I do believe, but that meant that I needed to just kind of shoulder whatever came my way. And whether positive or negative, I thought I, I was just, you know, I was doing Brie a service and myself a service by not sharing when something hurt me or when I was offended by the way something was communicated to me. I thought I was being gracious. You know, I, I got to be gracious. And so there was things happening maybe inside, um, maybe some things that were, you know, developing roots of bitterness that I was just holding in. And then in conversations when my wife would try to draw me out because she would, like, I can tell something's wrong. I'm the kind that I would just shut down. No, everything's fine. I'm good. And just shoulder on and just go through it. And then pray and Lord, you know, help me with this, but not be willing to share that openly or as openly as I should have. Took a major life event like having a child and realizing that we were going to be bringing this life into existence and shaping it that gave me the courage to speak up and share honestly. And it was hard because I think I really feared like, man, if I say these things, is she going to just like change her love and affection toward me now that she knows that there are things that I've been holding in that I've been maybe bothered by? Is that going to change our marriage dynamic? And so maybe the insecurities were what were keeping me from really being fully authentic. But I went from thinking I needed to be strong all the time in my marriage, and that meant never speaking fully honestly to how I felt, to realizing my wife really wanted me to be honest because she wanted to know the real me, not the me that was trying to be something. She wanted authenticity. And I think that's a lesson that we've been learning since. Marriage needs to be a place where we can grow to be our authentic selves to each other while extending grace in the process. So for any of you that maybe find yourself in that kind of situation, my hope would be that you can learn sooner rather than later. And, you know, I'm kind of a slow learner. That's just the way it works for me. But man, once I was able to open up and realize that she didn't push me away, but she invited me in and she wanted to know me more and our relationship didn't get shallower, it got deeper because now I was known more fully by her and I was able to open up and actually grow in authenticity. Our marriage has never been better. That was a, that was a defining moment in our lives. And I'm thankful the Lord brought it in as we are shaping these lives and as we are you know, bringing, um, bringing kids into the world I think the reason we can be our authentic selves, honestly, has to do with the fact that we have been brought into a marriage covenant, right? It's one of the things that separates Christian marriages from just any other marriage. We believe in a covenant, and I like the definition of covenant of a promise, a pledge, or a deep and resounding commitment. You see, when you said, I do, you didn't sign a contract, right? You didn't present your, if you do this, I'll do this kind of thing. Your pledge was, I pledge to do such and such, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. Now, covenants are a significant thing in the Bible. If you know, a covenant, you know, is something that the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. And I like to point this out when I lead um, wedding ceremonies. 
The difference between a covenant versus a contract, and this might help us understand what I'm really meaning by this. Here's some distinctions of a covenant. A covenant is based on trust from both parties. A contract is based on distrust. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. There's nothing you cannot ask of me. A contract is based on limited liability. A covenant can't be broken if new circumstances occur. It's beautiful. A contract can be voided by mutual consent. You see, for the Christian married couple, this is what God brings us into. When we get married, there is, there is a deep and resounding commitment that we have together. The marriage covenant is horizontal and that I pledge to my spouse that I'm going to be committed no matter what. I'm going to be there in 50 years. We're going to have a date and, and we're going to be both showing up. But it's also vertical and that we make our commitments to the Lord. And this is the foundation of our marriage. Now, where does this take off? Here's the deal. Four to 10 years into marriage, affections, emotions, they ebb and they flow. What brought you to the altar, that feeling, that love, that, oh my goodness, this is just incredible. I cannot live without this person. Those feelings, a lot of people call that infatuation maybe, I don't know, but those feelings aren't the things that necessarily are going to carry you through. What's going to carry you through is something deeper and more profound. What I like to say to married couples on their wedding day is your love has brought you to make this covenant, but your covenant will be the thing that will bring you to love each other in a deeper way. Because you fall back on that. In those moments where you go, why don't I feel this? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't she doing this? You don't tear up the roots of the covenant. You don't pull it up if it, if it withers. What you do is you cultivate the ground. You sow to it. You water it so that it can grow in even better and deeper roots. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how to cultivate your marriage covenant. Five ways to do it. I'm going to kind of run through these, and um, we can maybe have time for questions and answers at the end if we get there. But these aren't necessarily like in a real sequential order. These are just things that me and my wife said. These, are, these have been like the big things for us that have helped us in our marriage over the last Almost 14 years. Okay, you ready? Number one, remember that you're a team. You're a team. So I want to talk about this because this is something that Bree and I use often. We, we like to say Team Kaler. Our last name's Kaler. So Team Kaler, that's something that we say a lot. And we know what that means. That means that it's you and me, babe. That's where it starts. It's you and me, our relationship. That's the key. That's the key to our parenting. That's the key to our friendships. That's the key to our future. We need to be together. We need to remember that we are a team. Because here's what happens in marriages. Oftentimes, as the years go on, you start to become more like individuals living together. I've got my thing. She's got her thing. We kind of do our thing and then we kind of sleep in the same bed and it's cool and, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff. We're living in the same home and, and that's not really what God intends for a marriage. God intends way more. As, as Nate and Christina were talking about companionship and deep friendship and the intimacy that comes with that. This is one of the ways that me and my wife remind each other the importance and the priority of our marriage. We are a team. My relationships don't just affect me, they affect my wife. My spending habits don't just affect me, they affect my wife. My inability to stand up to my parents doesn't just affect me, it affects my wife. 
The idea is that protecting or guarding our most important relationship, we are going to need to fight for that sometimes, which means identifying things, relationships, habit that could get in between the commitments we've made to each other. To each other. We've seen a lot of couples and we've been able to mentor some couples who are struggling. And oftentimes it's the independence of one spouse that is causing a, a rift or just something not right in the marriage. And our encouragement to them is, man, you know that what you're doing and how you're living out your life, that may be great and good and you're, you're having a great time, but you have to see that that's having an impact on the most important person next to you. So how this plays out practically in our marriage, some of the things we, we try to do to remember that we're a team, we don't make fun of each other or put each other down in front of people. We don't use sarcasm in ways that are going to un, undercut and um, take out the legs of the other person. We don't want to laugh at someone else's expense. Now, I will say we like to laugh too. So over time, we've learned that there are some things we can joke about. She can joke about how slow I drive, which is just a thing. I like driving slow. Anybody else slow drivers in here? God bless you, two of us. It's <laughs> just, why do we need to go fast? I mean, I'll go under the speed limit even. You know, I know I can get pulled over with that, but you guys are like, okay, you're, on the, you're the guy that's on the road that I'm tailgating. All right. But there's things that we know because we've spent time understanding, hey, I'm not going to go there. It's not worth her getting offended. It's not worth her getting hurt by me telling a joke to my buddies in front of her because we're a team. If that's going to undermine the team, I'm not going there. And guys, this may be a little countercultural, even to the friend groups that we have, where there's kind of a thing where we make fun of our spouses, we put down our spouses, we laugh at our spouses. That's just not something that we've done in our marriage. We want to hold to that team. I don't want the enemy to get any place in there that would cause me to become ungrateful or discontent. Social media is doing a good enough job with that anyway. <laughs> I don't need to help that along. So I want to cultivate that. I want to cultivate that teammanship. For Bree and I, coming to the understanding that there were going to be a lot of relationships that we have throughout our marriage, not romantic, but you know what I mean, friendship relationships, but none of them were going to be as important as our relationship to each other. And so whether it was habits, practices, or friendships that could potentially threaten the trust and commitment that we've made, they needed to be seriously assessed, and we needed to talk through some of those things. All right. When it comes, another way that we apply this is the concept of uh, in the heat of a fight. I mean an argument. I mean a discussion, right? We don't fight. We, we discuss things. You can fight. That's all right. You just got to fight fair. When you're, arguing, uh, when you're arguing with your spouse, who's the enemy? In that moment, who do you feel the enemy is? Your spouse. You feel like you are against me. I am against you. And, and it is on. The gloves, <laughs> the gloves are off. Here we go. But you got to remember... Your spouse is not the enemy. You may think, well, she's the enemy of my happiness. <laughs> Maybe it's more she's the enemy of your immaturity and childishness, so you just kind of need to grow up. But the real enemy of your marriage is Satan. He wants to come in and steal and kill and destroy. In the heat of the battle, in the heat of those moments, in the heat of a discussion or a fight, you may have to stop each other and literally say, we aren't enemies here. That's something I've said before. Breeze reminded me, we're not enemies here. And it's like, oh yeah, because we have just been going at it like we're enemies. Isn't that crazy? You've kind of just been going back and forth. Another thing I remember, we were, we were going back and forth about something and both digging in and I just had to stop and I just said, hey, we love each other, remember? 
<laughs> and it just kind of disarmed everything. I was like, yeah, yeah, we do. We love each other. That's Team Kaler. You guys can adopt. Don't say Team Kaler, though. That'd be weird. Use your last name. Number two, endeavor to make your spouse's life better. I remember a pastor saying to me, if you want to know how selfish you really are, get married. If you want to be reminded, have kids. <laughs> Marriage is hard because selfishness is so easy. <laughs> we like to be served. We like when the world revolves around us. I think oftentimes marriages start to dry up because each person is waiting for the one, the other person to show them love and care. There's kind of this Cold War period of marriage. <laughs> Man, I can't believe they're not, they're not appreciating me. I can't believe they're not loving me. I'm, I'm waiting for them to make that move. They, they, have, they have plenty of time. And then the other spouse is thinking, man, they don't care about me. They never do anything fun. They never do anything special. Why isn't it like when we were first dating and trying to win over my heart? Where did all those things go? Both are unhappy with each other because both are waiting for the other person to make the first move. See, it happen all the time. When one person makes a move and does something nice, if the other person doesn't throw a party and set off fireworks to show their appreciation, <laughs> the person that did the nice thing often gives up. Well, I made lunch. You didn't even say thanks. You didn't bow down and praise me for taking the time to make lunch for you. But the problem with oftentimes the way that we serve is we serve for ourselves. I got an example of this. I remember I was watching our, uh, our oldest. I think he was three years old at that point. My wife was out with some friends or maybe grocery shopping, probably doing something for our family, actually. And I was home. And I remember looking and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to vacuum. And so I started vacuuming the house. It's this incredible thing that I'm doing. Wow, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm vacuuming our house. This is great. And I actually literally remember thinking, like, Bree's going to be so blessed by this. It's like, get over yourself. But honestly, I remember, like, feeling that. And then, like, the Lord speaking to me and saying, well, better just know that this is for you then. I was like, what? Basically, he was saying, you're doing this so that you can get praise for it so that you can look a certain way, so that you could get affirmation. And in that, you're not really serving to make the other person's life better. You're serving to ultimately gain something from her. And I was like, whoa, dang, I'm not ever vacuuming again. <laughs> Lord, if this is what you do. But you know what? When we're willing to serve, when we're willing to make our spouse's life better just for the sake of that's what sacrificial love does whether it's reciprocated, whether it's praised, whether she rolls out the red carpet and thank you, why don't you go out and play golf, you know, with your buddies, do all 36 this weekend, you know, or whatever it is. Whether that happens, let's just do it to make our spouse's life better because that is what love does. A little tip here, learn what makes your spouse's life better. <laughs> Study them. Don't just do the things that maybe you want them to do for you it's not the worst place to start, but I think you can do better. Seen, you know, couples, one person may be like a gifts person. They just love gifts, and so they just, you know, go out and get a gift for their spouse because that's what they would love, and their spouse is like, this doesn't really do anything for me. <laughs> I kind of would like you to spend time with me. The time that you spent going there and getting that thing, would have, I would have just loved for you to hang out and talk to me. So what I'm saying is learn your spouse. Learn what it is that really lights them up, really encourages them, really sets them up. For Brie, I've learned over the years, flowers aren't really her thing. I know, guys, it's a bummer. 
I go to Trader Joe's, you know, and I'm like, I could really score right now. I'm just kidding, but they've got cheap flowers. It's great. Inexpensive flowers, sorry. But, you know, a text throughout the day or a phone call just to check in, those are things that really bless Bree. I don't tend to be the most organized list person, but my wife is. She's just got skills, incredible skills. And it blesses me so much when she's organizing our family and our schedules and she's putting together lists. That's something I can't do, but she knows it blesses me. These are ways that we've grown to know how we can be a support to each other and make each other's lives better. Number three, stay close to the Lord. You're going to hear a lot about this, but I I just can't overstate it. There is a direct link between my closeness with Jesus and the way I treat my wife. If me and the Lord are off, I'm, I'm going to be off with my, my wife, with my boys. My, my dad would always say it this way. This vertical relationship governs all these horizontal relationships. I can tell when I'm cranky, when I'm short, when I'm defensive, I know why. It's because I'm forgetting where my true identity is found in Christ. Staying close to the Lord reminds me where to find my true identity, my value, and my worth. It's in Him that I'm His child, that I've already been affirmed, I've already been accepted. I don't have to prove that in front of the Lord, that that I'm invited into his kingdom to live as one of his kids. I've been given purpose, I've been given a name, I've been given the love and the affection that I need. Everything else I get in this world, everything else I get from my wife is just, man, it's icing on the cake to what I have with my heavenly father. You see, living in the kingdom, it means living for others, not yourself. And that's why it's an upside down kingdom. So when we are connected to the Lord, guess what? We start to see ways that we can serve others and we can be a blessing to others. I love Philippians 2, 3 through 4 on this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I think this is such a great marriage verse. When I stray from my identity in Christ, I look for my identity through other things. My performance, my abilities, my parenting, even my wife's good opinion of me. All of those things are prone to change. And if I'm making those my foundation and those things are where I gain my sense of value and worth, when they do change, I'll struggle because now I'm left realizing I can't do it all. I feel lost. But there's a security and a strength that comes when we find our identity in Christ. It frees us not to get our identity from what our spouse thinks of us. Now, do I want my spouse to think I'm awesome and I'm great and I can binge 300? Absolutely. I want her to be deceived that way. But if my value and my worth rises or falls on whether or not she thinks I'm great, guess what? When I do something that proves I'm a sinner, I either hide it, justify it, cover it, because I can't chance letting her down because my identity is so wrapped up in her good opinion of me. But when I'm finding that good opinion, when I'm finding my identity, my security in Christ, when I do fail, it allows me and it frees me to be honest to my wife and say, man, even if she says, how dare you? I can't believe it. You're not the man I thought you were. I can say, I know. But by God's grace, I want to be that. By God's grace, I want to grow. And I'm sorry. And you humble yourself. Guys, the thing is, we're sinners married to sinners. (laughs) This means that we are going to be at times sinners. We are not going to act in the best interests of our wives or our husbands. But my identity 
It can't be based off of what they think of me or who she thinks I am. If I do whatever I do, it is going to devolve into covering and guarding. But man, the gospel frees us. And that's what I'm talking about. It's just our identity in Christ. It's a way to apply the gospel even into our marriage. When we stay close to the Lord, we're promised that the helper, the Holy Spirit will guide us, that he will help us. Things that help me stay close to Jesus. Here's just a few spiritual practices like prayer and Bible reading. I know if I'm not continually in the word, praying, studying, you know, being with Jesus that way, it's just going to have an effect on me. Smaller groups with other men, other husbands that I can share and be accountable to. I have a discipleship group I've been doing for the better part of the last year. We meet at six in the morning over Zoom. We confess sin. We read the Bible together. We pray for one another. We talk about areas that God's growing us. This has been so life-giving to me. These guys know my failures. They hold me accountable. They know my blind spots, and they're able to speak into those situations. A few other things, worship music. I'm a worship leader. I just I love worship music. Worship music gets my attention and focus on Jesus away from the craziness of the world. Good podcasts, good books are another few things that keep me close to the Lord. With that in mind, number four, this is something that me and my wife have really been encouraged by, and that's to never stop growing individually. You guys are doing something together, and this is really good. You're coming to a marriage conference, but I'd encourage you, don't stop growing as an individual. It's kind of sad to see how many people, once they get married, stop trying to change, stop trying to grow. It's kind of like we, we need the best version of ourselves in order to land our spouse and get married. And now that we're married, we can just kind of kick back. <laughs> Man, far be it from us. Now, what I'm not saying is that you've got to make growth your focus. I believe you make Jesus your focus and to continue to press into him, he will change you. How does he do it? I believe he reveals to us those areas of weakness, areas of blind spots that we need to surrender to him and allow him to take, helping you identify the unhealthy and untrue beliefs that you're holding on to that you may not even know and replacing those with the truth of who he is, what he's done, believing and applying the gospel. Remember this story I heard, you may have heard this one before. There was a man who feared that his wife wasn't hearing as well as she used to and he thought that she might need a hearing aid. Not quite sure how to approach her, he called the family doctor to discuss the problem. The doctor told him there are simple informal tests that the husband could perform to get the doctor a better idea of, uh, about her hearing loss. Here's what you do, said the doctor. Stand about 40 feet away and in a normal conversational speaking tone, see if she hears you. If not, go to 30 feet, then 20 feet and so on until you get a response. That evening, the wife was in the kitchen cooking dinner and he was in the den and he says to himself, oh, I'm about 40 feet away, let's see what happens. In a normal tone, he asks, Honey, what's for dinner? No response. So the husband moves closer to the kitchen about 30 feet from his wife and repeats, Honey, what's for dinner? Still no response. Next, he moves into the dining room where he's about 20 feet from his wife and asks, Honey, what's for dinner? Again, no response. So he walks up to the kitchen door about 10 feet away. Honey, what's for dinner? Again, there's no response. So he walks right up behind her. Honey, what's for dinner? Ralph, for the fifth time, chicken. You know, when we realize the problem in our marriage is not the other person, (laughs) but ourselves, I think that's when real growth happens. 
Now, I'm not talking about those scenarios when, when there's ongoing, unrepentant sin that's present in a marriage, because in those cases, man, sin is going to just cause a wedge. It's going to bring unhealth into the situation. And too often, the offended spouse takes too much responsibility for the sins of the other spouse who's committing the sin. But in the situations where, where you're looking at marriage going, hey, you know, if we, if we just do this, if we, if we just do that, then it'd be a way better thing. And I wouldn't be so crabby all the time. If they could just change, I'm talking about those things, just everyday stuff. We're, we're immediately looking at our spouse going, man, they're the problem. Man, my encouragement to you is change starts with you. Do you want change in your marriage? Do you want things to get better, to get healthier? How are you doing loving unconditionally? That's one of those things as a Christian we have, right? Unconditional love. (laughs) That's really hard. That's supernatural kind of stuff. To say, I'm going to love you without condition, without boundaries, without barriers. I'm going to love you even when you aren't being lovely. My point is, if you're unhappy in your marriage, the problem may very well be with you. Some guys, and let me just say to the guys really quick, you know, there is a perspective, I think it is, influenced by our culture where we work hard, we pay the bills, why, why can't we just kind of do our thing? That's what we contribute. And then everything else is like just kind of asking a little too much. And then when you don't feel appreciated, when you don't feel praised, when you don't feel affirmed, like, well, look at what I'm doing. It's often how it goes. But look at, there's something that we get from work and there's something that we get from our careers. You know, a lot of it is, you know, maybe you feel respected. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm, I'm hitting the markers. Like there's a scorecard. That's kind of cool. How's your scorecard in marriage going? Not very good, maybe. But you feel like, man, work is appreciating me. Man, these people, you know, really kind of take care. Like, yeah, there's all this stuff going on. We're pouring our best into our careers. And then we're kind of just expecting our spouse to be okay with what's left over. Don't give your spouse the leftovers. Don't just think that, man... You know, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm bringing in, and that everything's going to be okay. If you're giving the same level of attention, care, and drive to your marriage that you are your work, good things are going to happen. But most of the time, it's not the case. I'm talking to myself even because ministry can, can be that. It can be the, the nonstop, always going. You can find your identity in that. This is something me and my wife have had to work through over the years. But I think the key is to be present where we are being emotionally available. I'm not talking about, you know, um, or excuse me, I, 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 maybe it is talking about getting out of the rut of just, well, let's watch another show. Let's just kind of do our thing and, you know, we'll fall asleep and, uh, and then do it all over again. But turning off Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever it is, and just spending some time talking together. All right. Maybe that was just for me. Maybe I needed to hear that and that was for nobody else. Thanks for the therapy session. This has been good. Okay. Let me say this, last one, have fun. Then I'm going to do some, some other, so don't get excited yet. We're not quite done. <laughs> have fun. This has been something that has just really been important in our marriage. Um, 
you can be the most different people in the world, but, but that doesn't mean you can't find things to do together and enjoy together. Me and my wife, we have um, different movie genres that we like. So when we find a movie that we really dig, it's like, oh, we're all about it, that we both enjoy. My, my humor in movies is different than hers. I like kind of the cheesy, corny, you know, naked gun, airplane, all that kind of stuff. She's like, that is so not funny. Why? So I, I watch it by myself sometimes. And, and you know, and, and, but then when we find things that we like, we enjoy, it's just like so great. It takes some work. It takes some time. You recognize each other's differences, but grow to appreciate how God has made you differently. We can look at our differences as like, oh man, this is a disadvantage, man, I can't believe. But man, in the Christian marriage, uh, differences aren't meant to compete, but complement you. And then try to find some things that, that maybe you don't like, but they do, and then do those things. See if you end up liking them. There are things that I like now that I didn't like before I was married. It's just because I've tried them. And then I've grown to appreciate them over time because my wife is so into it. I think that couples that laugh together and have fun together are cultivating the soil of their marriage covenant. Man, Brie is so good at not taking life too seriously. She has taught me so much about this. She's hilarious. If you know my wife, she's just so funny. She loves to laugh. I can see laughter being such an incredible boost in our marriage. When I know she's down, she's had a hard day. If I can make her laugh, like there's just something that happens. It just kind of brings her out of the funk, you know, whether it's just oh man, the kids have been at it all day. If we can laugh together, it's kind of like that, you know, playing Mario Kart and, and you push that boost button. It's like, okay, we're ahead. We're good. The best laughs I've had in my life have been with my wife. And it's been so sweet. There's a, there's a sacredness to that, to enjoy that together. Doesn't mean you have to become the hilarious person. You got to start studying like joke books and stuff like that. Be who you are but find ways to have fun, to enjoy your marriage. Proverbs 17, 22, I like this. A joyful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Okay, so those are five ways to cultivate your marriage covenant. I want to close by looking at five things that if you do, they will hinder your marriage covenant, I think. Five things, habits to break I'm going to go through these a little bit quicker, but I, I do feel like I want to get to these, and then maybe we'll do some questions here. Five things that will hinder your marriage. Number one, be defensive and never admit to being wrong. Argue as much as possible until you wear the other person down and prove your point. <laughs> Guys, don't make winning the argument your goal. How many of us try to do this? Now I'm going to hold my ground. I'm, I'm speaking for truth. <laughs> I got to hold on to this. Here's the deal. It, you may not always be right. You may be wrong in your assessment of a situation or an interpretation of an event. Because oftentimes there aren't black and white things that we're arguing about, right? If it was that easy, we'd just go, well, look at this. This proves it. These are gray areas. These are perspectives. These are interpretations of scenarios. These are feelings that have been hurt that we're trying to express. When it comes to conflict, usually both parties are operating in some kind of sinful response. A few tips for navigating through conflict, and these I found really helpful. There's a Christian counselor named Jonathan Holmes that, that put these together. I want to share these with you when it comes to conflict, biblical conflict res resolution. One, have a plan for dealing with conflict in your marriage. What I mean by this, what he means by this, don't just go into conflict wherever, whenever. 
I think especially for parents, not to argue in front of the kids, not to work through something in front of the kids. You know what? If you're starting to get into it, you got to put a pen in it. Let's, let's talk about this when the kids go to bed. You don't need to work through those things in front of the kids. Also, don't work through things digitally. It's just one of the most terrible things that we can do is work it through a conflict over text. You can't hear tone. You, you don't know what feelings are being expressed. So hold on to those things. Send a text and say, hey, I really want us to get through this. I really want us to work through this, but not over text. Because what tends to happen in these moments is emotional flooding. You feel that? Something gets triggered, there's hurt feelings, and all of a sudden there's just a flood of emotions that we're trying to communicate or express, and it just kind of comes out. We kind of just, blah. Feelings are so hot, you probably aren't going to be communicating as reasonably as you could. I like this also. Uh, try not to work through conflict in the bedroom. This is one of the things that, that he talks about. You know, the bedroom... As much as you can, keep it a sacred space. That's why some people even say, hey, don't have a TV in the bedroom because that's going to take away from the intimacy, the connection that you guys can have in there. I don't think that's a, you know, a burden that you have to have or you know, a legalistic kind of a thing. But to prove the point of, hey, if you're going to work through something, let me be sitting at the table, get on the couch or something like that, go on a walk, sit on the porch, whatever it may be, and then put a time frame on it. How many of us, we've done the all-nighters? <laughs> You know, I heard somebody, you know, the verse that says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Um, that, that's, a good, that's a good verse. But sometimes y'all need to sleep. <laughs> like, you've just been going at it. It's like, we are, we're not getting anywhere. I think what is best for us right now is good sleep. So just know, that's a principle. You don't always have to, hey, we can't let the sun go down on our wrath, you know, kind of a thing. But what it means is some of these things... You may just need to pick up at another time. Sometimes distance gives perspective. So put a time frame on it. Number two, set goals for biblical communication. Ephesians 4.32 talks about being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Kind and tenderhearted. Do not let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and proper for building up of each other. You see, a lot of our communication is tearing down and not building up. If you can set a rule in your conflict, hey, we're going to use words that build up, not unnecessarily tear down. I'm not saying about not being honest, but not unnecessarily tearing down. Use I feel statements rather than you always do the statements. This is something me and my wife laugh about all the time. We catch ourselves now when I say, but you always, it's just like, well, I'm like, yes, okay, wait, not always, 99.9% of the time, you But to say, I feel like this happens when, and things like that. Stick stick away from superlatives, from generalities. Well, yeah, because all the time, or you always, these kinds of things. Don't cheat and say things like, well, I feel like you're an idiot. Um, Don't do that. But set goals for biblical communication. Communication that builds up doesn't tear down. Number three, pay attention to your posture and your tone. You may have a good point, but if you deliver it loud and big and strong, you could shut the other person down or worse, cause them to counter your level with a higher level. Well, if you're going to come at me like that, I'm going to come back to you like this. And then now we've just, we've just gone off the rails, right? You know how that is. Some, a thing that me and my wife say all the time. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. 
You guys, anybody? No? It's not what you said that really got me, because I think you're right. It's how you said it. <laughs> it hurts. Gosh, I mean, I think I just needed a little chisel, and you brought out the sledgehammer. <laughs> it's not what you said, it's how you said it. I remember counseling one couple, me and my wife, and we were doing it over Zoom. And every time they started to get into an argument, the posture of the husband literally changed to where he would grow bigger and he would look down and he would look angry and he would look mean. And every time that that happened, the wife would shut down. We finally pointed it out. And here's the thing, he didn't even know he was doing it. And then after some conversation, he said, my dad did the same thing to my mom. What was modeled for him became normal. What he saw in his parents' marriage became normative. Now, how many things have we seen modeled in front of us that we've just let be apart? Let me just free you from your marriage can be different, it can be new, it can be healthy. You don't have to do the things that you saw modeled before you. By God's grace, he can produce new habits. And we got to talk to this person even more recently. How's that going? And his wife gave a great report. He's not being mean to me. <laughs> That's all she wanted. She didn't want him to be mean. Because every time that happened, what it did is it brought up the hurt, the pain, all the things of the past. And so it detracted from really the main point. Ask your spouse, is there anything about my tone or my posture that is unhelpful when we're working through conflict? What can I do to make you feel safe in those types of situations? Number four, identify the real problem. There, there's usually something going on underneath the surface, right? What's really going on here? Most of the conflict I see that couples have boils down to men not feeling respected or appreciated and wife not, the wife not feeling loved or considered. There's, there's this... There's this whole idea, you've heard of the book, Love and Respect, and it's incredible when I sit with married couples that that so much is at the heart of the things. She doesn't appreciate me. She never, she never tells me. I don't even know if she likes me. And then the wife feeling like, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't consider me. He doesn't go out of his way. It's just kind of like he's going through the motions. So guys, I just want to put that in the back of your head to think in the moment, in the heat of a conflict, what is underneath the surface here? What's the real issue? Guys, is she feeling unloved, uncared for, not considered? Did your actions cause her to feel that way? Ladies, is he feeling disrespected or belittled? Why is it important to identify the real, pro identify the real problem? Because then you can get somewhere. Then you aren't distracted by the other thing to try to prove a point and prove the other person wrong, and then the argument becomes an argument about the argument, and then it just kind of spirals from there. You can be honest and say, yes, I want you to appreciate me more. <laughs> yes, that, that doesn't cause me to feel respected. And then trust that your spouse is going to do the things that will help not get you guys back there again. All right. Last one for navigating through conflict. Listen to your spouse's perspective. This is one where we stay out of the judgment zone. Listen before you make judgments or suggestions. Just listen. And then say, thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize that is what you were thinking or feeling. That's going to help so much more than when you just 
make a judgment. Well, it's because you did this. Well, it's because you always do this. Well, this is why. Just listen and take some time. I'm not a quick processor. My wife is. Usually that's the case in marriages where one is just like rapid fire, like boom, 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 boom. And the other is like, well, I don't really know what to say. (laughs) Give me 30 minutes to come up with something. And I've gotten better because in the moment I also know that my lack of response can be seen as uncaring or unloving. But my wife has also been able to understand me that I'm going to need some time. She now just knows, like, in, in the moments where she's like, you need to process this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. I don't really know. I don't, I've got a lot of feelings. I don't think anything good's going to be coming up, and so I need to think about it. I need to pray about it and get back to it. That's okay. All right, that's a little bit of conflict resolution. I hope that's helpful to you guys. Here's just a few more just extra ones. Consistently place your kids above your marriage. Remember, these are the things that hinder. <laughs> You're like, what? What is he saying? Consistently placing our kids above our marriage is going to be something that does undermine, that can, um, uh, uh, you know, pull up instead of cultivate the marriage covenant. I, I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but I think it is something that we as parents need to remember. Let me say this. Parenting is all about seasons. You know this probably. And each stage of parenting is a time to adjust our expectations. For example, your sex life is going to change when you're in the baby stage. Just is. If you haven't figured that out yet. And that's okay. The problem would be for us, let me talk to the men for a second, to say, no, here's the deal. I've got needs, I've got all of this, and you're not willing to extend grace. You're not willing to see that your wife is working hard. She's got a baby. She's, there's another human being that she's brought into this world. Adjust expectations. And just know it's probably not going to be this way forever. That can, that, that can comfort you. And it's, okay, it's not always, we're not always going to be in the baby stage. This is good. But in those moments, unfortunately, what happens is if, you're adjust, if your expectations aren't adjusted, bitterness, discontentment, disappointment creeps in. And then the enemy, he's just all too ready to fill in those things in ways that are just going to be dishonoring to the Lord and to your marriage covenant. Lean into the grace of God. But I will say this, talk together without putting pressure on each other. Know that there are going to be seasons in your marriage, in your parenting, where your kids are going to have needs that bring them to the forefront. But consistently try to maintain that your marriage, that that relationship is the priority. And then your kids will be better for it, I promise. The first years in marriage is often just face-to-face. It's beautiful. And then the parenting years in marriage is a lot of shoulder-to-shoulder doing it with your best friend. You get to see them in a different light. It's good, but just adjust those expectations together. Number three, if you want to hinder your marriage covenant, don't put any limits on the influence and input your parents have in your lives. (laughs) Guys, you've got to have boundaries. The Bible says to leave and to cleave. There's a oneness that you have with with each other. Your in-laws don't share in that. Your parents don't share in that. This could be a one that, this may be a whole nother session that we need to talk about, or maybe you need to meet with a counselor because there's specific situational things that may require a third party to just say, yeah, I think that's unhealthy. I think they're asking too much. I think there's some leaving and cleaving that needs to happen for the sake of your marriage. But be okay. Just know that boundaries need to be put in place. I heard somebody say, 
Be an advocate for your spouse's parents, your in-laws, but then stand up to your parents. Be an advocate for your spouse's parents, but then stand up to your parents. If you guys do that, things may go well. I said may go well, (laughs) because I know, it can be tricky. Number four, never talk about finances or just make everything about finances. So money is cited as one of the biggest conflict points in marriages and one of the reasons that leads to divorce. Oftentimes, it's because we just marry the opposite person, that, uh, the opposite kind of, of ourselves when it comes to money. We either marry a spender, we're a saver, or we marry a saver and we're a spender. And that presents issues and conflicts in the marriage, right? So what I want to just encourage you with is if you never talk about finances, that is just a breeding ground for conflict and distrust and, and, and things to brew. But if you make everything about finances, if you're a penny pincher, and you just, everything is about the budget. And man, maybe that is kind of another way to have too much of a focus on finances. And so I want to just encourage you to find that balance. To find that balance. Know who you are and don't go to the extreme, but try to bring it back. If you need help in this area, we have a Financial Peace University class coming up soon. I think it launches next month. Me and my wife went through it. Super helpful. Just to we just needed kind of someone to help us have the money conversation. It's kind of, I don't know, could be awkward at times. So Dave Ramsey helps us have the money conversation. There we go. Last one, don't deal with your bitterness. If you want to hinder that marriage covenant, the bitterness and unforgiveness that you have, whether it's through the sins of your spouse that was brought into the marriage, the unforgiveness of the hurt that they caused or are causing, It's hard because when we get married, the consequences of our sin are seen more clearly because our sin affects the one we love, our spouse. Remember, you are a sinner that married a sinner. And I want to say in in, in instances where there has been a breach of trust and unfaithfulness, forgiveness is not as simple as flipping a switch. I'm not saying that. And my encouragement to you is if you feel there is that unresolved, that bitterness. I'm I'm one of my best friends, him and his wife have experienced forgiveness. experienced in affair, adultery in that was brought into the marriage. And it's been so much time working through that. But man, God is, is with them. God is helping them. And they are in a place where they are loving one another, committed to one another. But even as of a month ago, they had to still go to their counselor to work through things. And if that's the case, guys, man, I, I, my encouragement, I implore you, don't just let that stuff fester. Don't let that hurt, that pain, that bitterness, but, but find counseling. We do that here at Calvary. Find a Christian counselor that you can go to so that that bitterness, that unforgiveness, you can start to grow in understanding what does it look like to forgive? And I love, again, the passage in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love that line, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, our motivation for forgiving our spouse is not that they deserve it. It's not solely that holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness is damaging to myself, and so I need to let go of this so I don't hurt myself. Those are good reasons. The real motivation is because I'm a sinner that's been forgiven by a great Savior. And the gospel tells me that it was Christ's love that led him to offer his life for me. It's because he pursued us with his love that we can now enter 
into that relationship. And that love that we get from, from Christ should fuel our marriages. That's what causes us to be forgiving. That's what causes us to be loving. That's what causes us to be servant-hearted. That's what causes us to be sacrificial in our serving. To find that channel, to find that love from the Father, to find that love that you can give to the other person so that you can build back trust when there's been hurt, when there's been sin, when there's been pain. All right, that's all that I have, and I see it just turned 11 (laughs) a.m. So I think... I think that's it, right? That's the time. You guys are done. Let me pray for you. I'll be around if you guys have any questions or um, need to um, chew me out for something I said. All right. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you again, Lord, that you are for each and every couple here, God. You created marriage. It's your idea. Lord, so you're so readily available to help in time of need. And so, Lord, for the couples here that are just getting a tune-up, they're just needing to work on some stuff. Marriage is good, but they want it to be better. Bless them, Lord. I pray that some of the things we talked about would help them towards that end. For the other couples, Lord, that are struggling, there's unhappiness, there's discontentment, there's pain. Lord, I, I pray by your grace, Lord, that you would, you would help, that you would be the great helper, Lord. Lord, you know all the dynamics that are at play. You see it better than they see it. You see it better than anyone else. So be that loving father to hold them right now, to help them, Lord, for your glory, for their good. In Jesus' name, amen.